Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. How many of you are glad you're in church today? I tell you, I'm standing down there during worship, and uh, do you ever have those moments where you can't believe you're saved? You know? I mean, like, that God would choose to use you and love you and forgive you because you know you. Right? And I just want you to know um, that God wants to do something special in your life today. And I feel like there's some folks in here that need to know that you're not invisible. That you feel like, man, I don't know what my place is, or, or maybe even at church, you're like, man, I don't really know many people here. I don't know if anybody knows me, but God knows you. We want to know you. We love you. You're accepted in this place, even if it's your very first time here and you're like, man, I don't know how I stumbled in this place. Talked to a guy a couple weeks ago who was walking with his kids on the bike path, heard the music, and he came in. So if you're here this morning, buddy, glad you're here again. Said he's an atheist, but God will get a hold of you. So if you don't know why you're here today, you're here because Jesus loves you. And he loves you just like you are. If you've been coming to church your whole life and you're still messing up, Jesus still loves you. Amen? The only thing that disqualifies you from that love is you. If you quit. If you give up. If you surrender. So today I just want to encourage you, whether you're here at Clive, whether you're in Audubon, the Audubon campus, um, whether you're online, to just open your heart today. Let Jesus speak to you. Expect something from God today. Don't come in here just another Sunday and say, man, that's just, we checked that off the list, right? We went to church. But no, I want to have an encounter with God. Amen? I want to experience him. I want his word to speak to me. And I, maybe you've read Genesis 6, and, and maybe you say, man, I've been in church my whole life. But guess what? God's got more for you. Amen? God's got more for you. I am so thankful um, that, uh, that he's not done with us. And uh, I'm thankful for our worship team, too. Anybody else? Man. These guys are phenomenal. Out in Audubon, the Arbors are leading worship out there. They're phenomenal. Um, you guys are cheering like you heard them before. You have, haven't you? They're good stuff. But uh, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for our pastors, um, Jesse and Lauren, and their leadership. Okay, we need a little more than that. Come on now. Come on. Come on. It's no secret why God's using them. It's because of their love for him and their humility. They're great leaders, but they love Jesus and love you guys. I don't know that I've ever met lead pastors that, I mean, I've met a lot, and there are a lot of great, great lead pastors out there. But the love that these guys have for, for you and for every single person that walks through the doors, it's, it's remarkable. And, uh, and God can trust them with people, and that's why more people are coming. Amen. And this month is Pastor Appreciation Month. So it shouldn't take the month of October to appreciate our pastors, right? So do you appreciate them? Let's make sure they know it this month. We're going to do something formal when Pastor gets back. We didn't forget. We didn't. So we're going to do something special in the weeks to come. But uh, this entire month, could you just maybe just pray about what it means to, to bless them? Give them a hug. Pray for them. You should pray for them often, every day. Pray for our spiritual leaders. Amen. Tell you what, Pastor Laura did a great job reading that scripture, didn't she? It's a lot to read one whole chapter. How many of you were like, um, how much is she going to read, right? 
So we don't have to stand to read the scripture, but I do need you to tell your neighbor before you sit down that God's got a word for you. And as I said a minute ago, we love you. We're glad you're here. If you're new, we want you to make sure when you leave, you go out the same doors you came in. There's some folks in yellow shirts called our Gotcha Crew. They're here to serve you. They've got a gift for you. They'd like to get some information so that one of our staff, one of our pastors can reach out to you this week. Um, maybe get you a coffee. We love coffee around here. And if you didn't notice, we give away free espresso and all the stuff out there, right? How many of you love coffee? Amen. Amen. These are my people. I love you. My name is Rob, if we haven't met. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, it's just an honor to be a part of what God's doing at Eternity Church. God's doing some really, really cool things. Um, the name of the, the title of this message today is Enough is Enough. Enough is Enough. And as you heard in chapter 6, right, that God had had enough, right? He'd had enough with humanity. He'd had enough with what was going on in the world. And, and how many of you, when she read that, when, when she was talking about how just kind of like everything had went crazy and, and everybody had lost their minds, how many can relate? Right? I mean, it's just insane, isn't it? Like, it's not like that. It's not as bad as it was, right? I mean, look, we've got all these people in the room. At that time, there's one man, right? Noah, that was found righteous, right? And so God's doing a work across our country and across our world. He is, right? I'm excited about what God's doing. However, our world, in a large part, has lost their mind outside of the church. And God said enough is enough. He couldn't take it any longer. The blatant sin, the violence, and the sexual immorality, it was just too much. God said enough is enough, we're going to start over. And I've got to be honest with you, when I, when, I, when I kind of started looking at what chapter I was going to have in this cadence, you know, pastors leading us through Genesis, right? Um, when I saw six, I thought, okay, I'm excited about the, the Noah part, but the first few verses, have you all read that and scratched your head? Like, what is going on? If you're, you don't know what I'm talking about, read it again. Like, read it, and you're like, what? It says this, when man began to multiply on the face of the land and, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive. And they took his wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, my, my spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh, his days will be 120 years. So man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters are born to them, and the sons of God, and so the sons of God, like, what, what does that mean, right? And the daughters of men, they thought that these daughters of men were attractive. It's easy to understand the daughters of men. That's daughters. It's humans, right? But the sons of God. Like, I remember reading that, like, the first time I read it, and I thought, what is happening? Is it angels? And really, you know, as you study it and you dig deeper in it, what was happening there was that it was the fallen angels that are demons. Yeah, if you, ah, that's what that means. So these demons, like, look like fallen angels. We know that angels can appear as humans, right? Like some have entertained angels unaware. So I don't know if these, if these daughters of men, I don't know if the women didn't know or they fully knew that they were demons. I have no idea what happened, but we know this, that it was messed up, right? It wasn't right. And, and as strange as it is, that that happened and is, is one of those questions, maybe someday when you get to heaven, you might ask the Lord. Anyone ever have those kind of questions? Like, like why did David pick up that many smooth stones? Did he think maybe he might miss? 
Or was it because Goliath had that many brothers? You know, there's all sorts of theories, right? What did Jesus write when he, when he, the woman caught in adultery, when he wrote in the, in the dirt? I think it was the other guy's sin. Like, hey, you did this. You looked at Pornhub this morning, right? So don't judge. I don't know. Am I getting too real this morning? Is it good? Okay, so anyway, so those are some of the questions. And I think, like, maybe I'm going to ask God when I get there. I don't think I am because I think I'm going to be in awe of his presence. That I'm going to be like, I don't really care what that meant. I'm with Jesus now. Amen? But anyway, it's one of those that's just really, really strange. As strange as it is, though, here's the point. This was not God's plan. This was not God's design. And the devil is against everything that is God's plan. And he will do everything he can to pollute God's intention. So that's what was going on. That, that God designed Adam and Eve. This was God's intention. This, was, this is what he wanted to do. This was, this was how humanity was supposed to go, man and woman. The devil always wants to pollute what God intended to be his plan. Amen? Do we see that in our world today? <laughs> we see an attack on God's design in our world today like never before. And it's not... It's, there's no other reason, there's no other influence behind it other than the enemy. His sole intention is to corrupt what God designed to be holy and just and right. And so, the devil is good at doing that. It's not a new thing. He, he's, he's done it uh, from the very beginning. He knew that God was going to bring the Messiah through uh, the woman, right? So in Genesis, it talks about, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will bruise, or he shall bruise your head. So, so Satan knew that God's going to bring the Messiah through humanity. So he knew that if he can pollute humanity to the point where that isn't possible, there is no Messiah. Do you understand that from the very beginning? From the very beginning. God's planning to bring a deliverer to Egypt. What did he do? Remember Moses? The devil doesn't know exactly what's going to happen. He doesn't know the plans of God, but it's like he picks up on some spiritual things, right? And he's like, wait a minute, God said there's going to be a deliverer coming, and Egypt is going to be in slavery this long. So what does the enemy do? When the deliverer, about the time that the, the deliverer is born, what does the enemy do? Tries to kill all the babies, right? Remember when Jesus was born? Like, we've got this prophecy, and we've got all these things, and, and the Messiah was going to be born at Bethlehem, and he kind of knew, the enemy kind of knew when and, and kind of where that was going to happen, but he didn't know exactly the plan. So what did he try to do? He tried to kill all the babies that age, right? This is his tactic. Now, do we see that in our world today as well? I don't want to get into that because we've talked a lot about that. We've done hot topics, and if you want to talk about the abortion thing or... Um, or gender issues. We've got that. Go back and take a look at those messages. But my point is this, is from the very beginning of time, see, sometimes we think this is new. Our culture's gone sideways. Well, it has, but it's nothing new. The enemy's been trying to do this from the very beginning, that if he can corrupt what God said is holy and right, that he thinks that that can prevent the Messiah or prevent God's ultimate plan. And then the devil, he really thought he had it figured out then that, okay, Jesus was, was born and, and he tries to tempt him and he figures, maybe I could get him on my side, right? And so that didn't work, right? And so he figures, let's kill him. Let's kill him. And it worked. He killed him. And then it backfired. Right? So here's the cool part. It's all done now. There's no more games that are going to be played in that regard that Jesus died for our sins. He, he died for our sins. Once and for all, that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. 
No longer do you carry your own sins. Is that exciting today? Okay, hold up, hold up. I'm going to say that again. We're not quite in the message yet, so just kind of prime the pump here. Oh, here's the other thing. When you say amen, the message gets shorter by like three seconds every, t- every amen. So when you amen, I just know you're getting it. It's good. Like, but listen, you're not in your sin anymore. Ah, come on. Dude, I'm not in my sin anymore. I'm still a sinner saved by grace. I'm still in the process of sanctification. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But I'll tell you this, what Christ did on the cross was enough. There's nothing you can do. Somebody needs to hear that this morning, that you're beating yourself up because of the things you've done. And you're putting the things you've done above what Christ did on the cross. And it's actually really prideful. So you've got to understand, there's nothing you can do that can separate you from the love of Christ. There's nothing you can do that can diminish what Christ did on the cross. What he did on the cross covers everything. Everything. So you, my friend, are forgiven if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You're washed clean. He says, as a matter of fact, he'll take that sin and he'll cast it as far as the east is from the west. He'll put that in the sea of forgetfulness. I know there's been times in my life when I beat myself up about repetitive sin, and it's like I'm trying to get victory, I'm trying to get victory, trying to get victory, and I remind the Lord, man, I'm such a loser. Anybody ever do that? Maybe you guys are more holy than me, right? And I've heard him say before, what are you talking about? I forgave you. Quit reminding me of what you did. I put it in this sea of forgetfulness. Only God can cause himself to forget. Isn't that amazing? So here's a word for somebody, maybe quite a few in this room. Quit reminding God of your past failures. From the very moment sin entered the world, God had a plan of redemption. And the devil's been trying to foil it ever since. But we win in the end. Don't be surprised when you get some resistance. Your breakthrough may be closer than you think. Stay the course and do things God's way. Every time we see a mighty move of God in Scripture, the enemy tried to foil it. So stay the course. Don't give up. Okay, back to chapter 6. Verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for for in his flesh his days shall be 120 years. Many have interpreted this to believe that humans cannot live longer than 120 years, but that's really not what it means. It means that exactly in 120 years, when God said 120 years from this point, All these people that are doing this are going to be dead. Isn't that interesting? Here's here's a couple things that 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 means to me. Is that God is merciful and patient. He is saying the timer has been set. In 120 years from this point, when I flood the earth, all of this stuff that's going on is going to end. It's going to be done. And only those that come under my protection will live. See, we serve a God that is extremely gracious. We live in the age of grace right now. Isn't it interesting when God says something, he actually follows through? How many of you and I get impatient? Well, God, you said this. You put this on my heart. You said this. That was three years ago. That was four years ago. That was six months ago. That was this morning. God, what are you going to do it? Because of his great mercy, he said something, and it was 120 years later. That it happened. Can you remain faithful even though God might be patient? 
And I've learned in my life that God has the uncanny ability to show up at the very last minute. I mean, in my, in my liking. It's the very last minute, isn't it? And then there's other times he shows up and says something and he does it far sooner than I would like. Where's the in-betweener here? Like, where's, where's my comfort level factored into this, God? Isn't it about me? So the Lord saw the wickedness in man, and it was great in the entire earth. And every intention of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, animals uh, and the creeping things. And I wish he would have kept those out, just leave the creepy things there. Uh, The birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I made them, but... Noah found favor in the sight, in the eyes of the Lord. And these are the generations of Noah, as she read, Seth and Ham and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, and all creation had corrupted in their ways. And God said, I have determined to make an end to all the flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy destroy the earth. And when I read that, What it says to me is God hates sin. Isn't that something? As much as he loves you and me, sin is repulsive to him. No sin can be in his presence. It's the very reason that Christ had to die for our sins as a sinless sinless man is because no sin can be in his presence, and he took our place. We we can relate. We, We want to see justice in things, don't we? When somebody wrongs you, you want to see justice, Right? If I came up and I, and I punched you in the, in the gut, would you want to hit me back? Some people are like, no, I'm running. I don't want to fight. If someone keys your car, do you want justice? If someone steals your credit card, do you want justice? If someone does wrong to one of your family members, do you want justice? Yeah, it's in us. That's kind of that God nature that we want justice. Well, God is, is holy, and no sin can be in his presence. And humanity had lost its mind and taken its eyes off of God. And his instructions. Every single time a person, a family, a nation takes their eyes off of God, it doesn't end well. Have you read the history of Israel? It's, a, it's this constant, repetitive, okay, God, we love you. We're going to serve you. Life is good. Great. We're going to live by your statutes. We're going to live by your principles. We're going to do that. And then, and then we start, we want to do our thing. And we want to serve the, the gods of that country. And we want to do this. And we want to do that. And God says, you want to do that? I mean, okay, you got free will. But then they end up in slavery. God gets their attention. They repent. God raises up some leaders. They go back to living a holy life. Generations pass. I don't really want to live God's way because that looks funner. That looks better. Let's do this. And this repetitive motion over and over and over again, and so it has been for all humanity, right? This whole process and God's whole plan the whole time is just to bring us back to him, to bring us back to him, to bring us back to him the whole time, right? The whole thing all the way through scripture is all pointing to Christ. It's all so he can be with us. Why do we serve such an awesome God? If I created something that kept running away from me, I would go right? But we serve a holy God. And he said, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to deal with this. We're not going to have this. This is crazy. But if you're going to live a righteous life, man, we're going to go for it. We're going to do this. I've got a plan. I want to bring people back to me. I want them to spend eternity with me. 
But every time a person, a family, a nation takes their eyes off of God, it doesn't end well. And you notice it starts small. Sin starts small. So here's a little, here's a little story to illustrate that. I was 12 years old, 11 or 12, and I, I lived on a farm, and uh, I was going to go get the mail. My, my parents weren't home, so I think they probably told me, you know, before they left, like, a few chores. And so I was going to go get the mail. And, but rather than walking to the end of the, the driveway, which is about from here to the front of the church, I decided I was going to take the, the car. You're already seeing where this is going, aren't you? Small sin leads to more sin. So I didn't just take the car or the truck that was sitting right in the driveway, but behind the barn, my uncle had a pink Cadillac. When you have a farm, people store things there. That's just how it works. Well, it wasn't just a pink Cadillac, but he had cut the roof off of it. So it was a pink Cadillac convertible. And he drove it in parades and whatever. It was kind of a, it was a wild car. It ran. It was fine. So, so I decided I'm going to drive the pink Cadillac down to the end of the driveway to get the mail. Because that's what you do when you're 12. Sounds fun. So I get to the end of the driveway and I thought, well, I can't hardly turn around right there. I better drive down the road a bit and turn around in the field driveway about half mile, mile down the road. So I take off and I'm living my best life. I'm not kidding you. It's like this time of year. The crops have just come out of the field. And, and I'm driving a pink Cadillac convertible at 12 years old down the gravel road. And I'm, I am fishtailing. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm going crazy, man. It was awesome. And so I get to this field driveway, and it's got a little slope on it. So I pull down in there, and I put her in reverse, and I spin. Dang. Not good. What am I going to do now? I'm just going to stop. I already, I already caused enough damage or already went far enough. I'm going to just be done and wait for my dad to get home, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. There's a field out there. See, and I think if I take off and get enough speed, I can probably whip that thing around and get back up that. No one's ever going to know. Now I'm going to have to wash the car when I get home. No big deal. I think I've got time. They're not supposed to be home for another half hour, hour. So I'm thinking this through, and there was just a moment in the back of my mind that thought, this might not be a good idea. But I gunned it. And I got about, I don't know, a quarter mile out in the field and realized it was pretty soft. So I thought, I'm going to have to just go faster and make a bigger loop. So I end up out in the middle of the field while I got stuck in some corn rows that were going this way. So here I am in the middle of this field. I tried for a half hour to get unstuck. I'm in, a, I'm in a pink convertible Cadillac. So the inside's full of mud. I'm full of mud. And there I'm stuck. Finally, I got to the point where I was so caught up in mud, it wouldn't move at all. Your sin will find you out. You ever realize that? Like, all of a sudden, there's no hiding it anymore? Like, I, you know, that first little drive to the end of the driveway? I could have just done that, and it would have been a little sin, no big deal. No one would have known. Parked the car back, no big deal. Down to the field driveway? I could have recovered out of that one. Could have been, Dad, you know, I went to check the mail. I wanted to drive the car, and I, I, I realized... I was going to get stuck, so I stopped, and he would have went, you know what, probably a dumb decision to take the car, great decision to stop. But I didn't. So here I sit in the pink Cadillac. As I look over the hill, the gravel road, here comes my dad. You ever have that feeling right in here? Where you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to live past this day. And I just never forget the look on his face. 
He didn't really have many words. He just said, why? <laughs> why? As I met him, you know, he's coming over the road, and I'm thinking, as I'm walking from that car to the gravel road in mud, um, what am I going to say? I said, I went to get the mail. <laughs> well, we had to wait till the next morning. It had froze that night. We had to go get the tractor, and it wasn't even our field. We had plenty of field here. I was across the road in somebody else's field. And uh, we had to get the tractor, tore up the guy's field a little bit, pulled the car out. My dad had to rescue me. I couldn't get out on my own. And there's been so many times in my life that it was more severe than that. It was worse. It was more damaging. The track I went down for sin. One little thing at a time. It led to bad things eventually, right? But I'll tell you the same result as this. I looked up at one point. My heavenly father came and said, hey, you want me to help you? I got you. You know, and the cool thing about that, too, my dad has never, ever held that over my head. Never, ever once. My dad is so gracious. He helped me get out. He didn't say a lot of words when we were doing it. I'll give him that. But he never said, you're, you know, you're such an idiot. Or why did you do that? What were you thinking? Never, never, ever, ever treated me that way. He just said, let's don't do that again. And you know, it's a really good example of our Heavenly Father. And some of you are in the same spot this morning. And the interesting thing about sin is that it, it's no respecter of how long you've served the Lord. It's constantly at the door. Right? You can do really well in your life serving Christ, and then you take the eye, your eye off the ball and you start down that road of sin again. And if you don't just learn to stop and just run to him, it will get worse and your sin will find you out. You'll end up in the middle of a field in a pink Cadillac full of mud. Embarrassed. Amen? And that's the, that's the history of man, and that's what was going on here. It started off pretty innocent. Just one little lapse of judgment followed by another lapse of judgment, followed by a bigger lapse of judgment, followed by just trying to get out of the mess that I had made, followed by I made the problem a lot worse, followed by I'm stuck in, a, in my sin literally, followed by I need help. And it started with just one little thing. You know, maybe it's just one little lie. How many have ever been a liar? Okay, those that didn't raise your hand are lying now. How many have ever been a liar? It starts off one little lie, and then you have to remember what you told somebody so that you don't get caught in that. Isn't that the truth? I've been guilty of that. There was a time in my adolescent years where I lied just to lie. I even believed myself at times. Isn't that sad? You know, the excuse, everyone does it. It's not really that big of a deal. It's not really being dishonest. It seems right. It feels right. So if it feels right, it's probably okay, right? That's actually biblical. God said that I'm really concerned about you, and if it feels right, do it. No? Please don't believe that. It's not in the Bible. There's a lot of those crazy things that people think are in the Bible that's, you know, God helps those that help themselves. No! We're lost and broken without him. We need him in every way. You know, how about the one where it's, it's okay that we live together. We're probably going to get married anyway. I'm not looking at anybody in particular this morning, if that's your situation, but that's the justification we make. We're probably going to get married anyway. Well, now we know. Like, now we know if we're compatible. 
or no one really doesn't sleep together anymore. They don't wait till marriage. That's really not, that's not, that's not something you do. Well, that is God's way, right? God's way is that we remain holy and pure until we find that person that he designed for us for, all, for our whole lives. That's God's way. And do you see what happens when we get off his path, things go wrong. That's what happened. And they just kept going and going and going and going and going and going. Finally, it got to the point where God knew they weren't going to repent. And he said, I'm going to finish it off. I'm done. God hates sin. Here's the other part. If you're in this place and you've done any of that, you're in that situation right now, I need, I need you to know that Jesus is still for you and not against you. But he does have a better path for you. If you want the blessing in your life, if you want God's purpose in your life, if you want to see it done God's way, just get on track with him. Don't beat yourself up for yesterday. Repent, turn around, and, and go the other way and do it right from here on out. Amen? You still like me, or do you really want Pastor back right now? I mean, you want him back, I know that, but God takes sin very seriously. Sin is what put Jesus on the cross. In 2 Peter, it talks about he didn't, he didn't even spare the angels that had sinned and and he cast them out of, out of heaven and into hell and on and on and on. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah and, and he didn't spare the people in Noah's day and on and on. And it says this, that, that, he, that he, will, he will follow up with the unrighteous. But he also knows how to keep those that are just in those moments and when the world is crazy. He knows how to keep you in your spot. He knows how to help you get through this. He knows. He's given you the answer to the test. He's given you the Holy Spirit to give you strength in these times. We don't have to completely just say, well, the culture's doing this, so I'm going to do this. Young people that are in school, stay the course. Live for Jesus. You'll never be sorry. Even though culture goes that complete direction and everybody wants you to think that that's normal, it's not normal. You don't have to live that way. God's got a better way. He can keep you in that. Young adults who are like, man, you know, I'm just tired of being by myself. And, and it's hard to stay pure. Do it God's way. Yeah, yeah. Amen? Do it God's way. How many have done it God's way and it's kind of nice? It works. Yeah. 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 There should have been way more hands than that. The greatest testimony I want my kids to ever have is they don't have a great testimony of that kind of stuff. They've got a testimony. They need Jesus. But I don't want them to have to go down all the stuff I went down to wake up and go, oh, I don't have to live that way? If you have, if you are, Jesus loves you. We love you. There is hope. Now get on track because God's got a plan for your life. The day of judgment is coming. Don't let the lack of immediate, immediate judgment lull you to sleep. God takes sin very serious and he will deal with it. Sin equals death. Point number two. God sees you. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creepy thing, creeping things and birds in the heaven, for I am sorry that I made them, but Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord, in the eyes of the Lord. God saw Noah. Amidst crazy sin and a culture that had lost its mind, God saw Noah, and God sees you. God's looking for people in the same way he was looking at that time, like, who's going to stand up for me? Who's going to live a righteous life? Who's going to be that person that I can use in the school, in the workplace, in the world, in government, in business? Who's going to be the person? Who is it? It says, but Noah, maybe but Aaron, but Lauren, but Jenna, 
right? What if, what if we're that person? I, now, now, I, I'm just going to go a step further. Not what if. God wants each and every one of us to be that person. God's got a plan for you where you're at to represent him and to be contrary to a crazy world. Because the world knows it's not working. The people that are out there, we're not against them. We're against the idea of it. We're against what the enemy's doing. We're against that way of thinking for sure. But people, even though they live that way and do that, they're still looking for hope. Jesus still died for them. And if nobody's willing to stand up like Noah was and say, I'm still going to live a righteous life, even though nobody else is going to, if Noah hadn't done that, his name wouldn't be in the book. God wants you and I to be that person. God sees you. He knows where you're at. He recognizes it. You and I can save the people around us. We don't save them. We point them to Jesus. But we can save the people around us by being like Noah, living a righteous and faithful life. God has gone to great lengths to redeem mankind, to save you and me. He did it in the garden when he started the plan. He did it through Noah. He did it through Joseph. He's doing, he did it through Moses and ultimately through Jesus. Do you get the idea that God loves us, that he is for us and not against us, that he gives us every opportunity possible to stay in relationship with him? I need to tell you today that nothing, I mean nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. If you feel like floodwaters are rising in your life and there's, there seems to be no way out of your situation. I'm here to tell you that this is a word from God, that he's your salvation. And I know that in a room this size with this many people, there are people that feel like there's no solution. Whatever your situation is, whether it's mental health issue, a physical issue, a financial issue, a relational issue, whatever it might be, there are people that feel like it's, there's a flood coming all around you, that there's no way out. We serve a God that knows how to make a way when there seems to be no way. No, no, let me say it again. We serve a God that makes a way when there seems to be no way. How many have ever been in that spot where you, you were in a completely desperate spot and you, you, you didn't know if there was a way out and God showed up? I want, no, I want you to lift your hands because I want, I want those that are in that situation, I want you to look around. God has a habit of rescuing people. He won't leave you alone. He won't leave you stranded. He won't leave you where you're at. The only thing you need to do is run to him. And I've told this story before, and I'm going to share it again. My wife told me last night, Rob, you've shared that a lot. I said, well, it's God's story, so I'm going to share it again. I was in one of those moments in my life, and I remember exactly where I was, on my knees, beside my bed, and I don't know what the situation was, but I remember yelling at God, kind of crying out, saying, God, why is it that every time I get to the end of the rope, like I can't hang on anymore, that's when you decide to show up? And he said, let go sooner. And I just want to tell some of you this morning, let go. Don't give up, but let go in your own strength. Let go and trust God. Sometimes it's fun to free fall. No, I'm serious. With God, he's going to catch you. You ever do that trust game? Let's do it right now. You got me? That didn't look very confident. Well, Ali might drop me, but Jesus never will. And I don't think you would either. You would try. I'm just bigger. But I challenge you this morning to trust him. He makes a way where there seems to be no way. Don't grow weary of doing well or being righteous. God sees you, and even when everything around you seems to be evil and contrary to God's ways, he sees you. Tell your neighbor God sees you. 
When you refuse to live like the world and are considered a bigot for standing by the word of God and godly principles, God sees you. Evil will not triumph. The timer has been set, just like in the days of Noah, and the only reason God hasn't returned yet is because of his grace. But there will come a day and a time, and it'll be just like in the days of Noah. That's what the Bible says. There's coming a day, Jesus is going to return, and it actually, so Jesus told the story. It's going to be like in the days of Noah, when they were doing this and doing that and living life, and all of a sudden the flood came. And you know, Noah built the ark. It was about 100 years or so it took him to build it. So people saw it. They probably thought the guy was crazy. So there was opportunity to repent. There was opportunity to see a different way to live. And so they just thought, it's, it's crazy. And maybe some thought, you know what, maybe if a flood starts to happen, I'll build a boat then. Well, they didn't even know what a boat was. They didn't need a boat. But they didn't repent. The last point I have before I go to our last one, and I still have 12 minutes. I'm on fire right now. Like it's not mean for timing. It's good. We still got to pray for souls, and we're going to have a little altar time. So keep going, Rob. The last point on this is that I can't help but notice in the story that Noah was found righteous, and it saved his family. Spiritual leaders in your home, dads, maybe grandpas, single moms, whatever the situation is, spiritual leadership matters. I mean, it matters. Like, you have to hear me this morning, that it matters. So the, the lack of it matters, too. We, we focus on the good sometimes. Like, yeah, man, spiritually lead your home, and God will bless your life and, and, and reach your family. But if you don't, the contrary will happen. Noah was a righteous man. His three sons, three daughter-in-laws, and his wife were all saved because of it. You, you hearing me this morning? That when you're in spiritual authority, man, lead. There's a lot at stake. Lead well. If you failed, don't beat yourself up, but, but make a decision to change now. Do not beat yourself up for the past because that's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to stay in the past so that you have no victory in the future. Repent. Hit your knees. Repent. Jesus, help me. I'm sorry I was a failure at being a dad. But now help me. And maybe they're adults and they're grown. You can still be a great dad. Come on, man, pick up the phone. Send your boy a text. My boy's 22, and yesterday I sent him a text. I said, man, I'm just so proud of you. I love you. You're awesome. And, and, and I'm 48 years old, and when my dad says he's proud of me, I still get tears in my eyes. I'm 48 years old. Men, will you do that? Will you pour into your kids? Pour into your wife? Pour into your family? And again, if you're a single mom, hats off to you, because you're doing both jobs. And men in the room, we can probably step in and be better father figures too amen okay last point faith is required verse 14 22 it talks about make yourself an ark of wood and he goes through the whole thing right how big to make it on and on and on gives him all the details and when God told Noah to build the ark there was no such thing as an ark there was no need for a boat he had never built a boat in the past it had never flooded before there was no context for what to do the ark wasn't a small boat either it was 450 feet long one and a half football field 75 feet wide 45 feet high that's a four-story building it had three decks it had a hundred thousand square feet and a million cubic space equal to 800 railroad boxcars. How many's up for that challenge? 
And a side note, people say, well, how did you get all those animals on there? You notice when you read it, it says, of their kind. Of their kind. Sometimes people go, well, how did they get chihuahuas and Dovermans and German shepherds and golden retrievers? Of course they were golden retrievers, people. <laughs> Jeez, read your Bible. <laughs> but it was of their kind. So we believe in evolution within race, right? So like a dog, and then there's other dogs, right? So they didn't have every breed of dog. There was a horse. It wasn't an Appaloosa and a paint, you know, and a whatever, right? So you follow me there? So when people throw that out there, just say, you don't know anything. <laughs> Read your Bible and study it, right? Like, that just makes no sense. The weirdest arguments come out about it, right? Like, it's not even possible. Well, it happened. I promise you, the flood happened. The boat happened. He put the animals on the boat. It's how it happened. God said it happened. It happened. And science does back it up, which is kind of cool. I go with God's word over science, but it's really cool, and it yeah. supports it too. Yeah. Oh, man. God will ask you to do things that are beyond your ability every time. God will ask you to do things beyond your ability, things that are only possible when you listen to his specific instructions. And I remember once in my life when, like, God gave me a, a vision, a uh, vision, that sounds weird, but uh, just a picture in my mind. I was, I was spending some time, I was on like a retreat thing, and I was pastoring at the time in a church, and I just felt like I was spending time with God, and I felt like he said, in the years to come, will you go there if I ask you? I didn't know where there was. I didn't know how long it would be, but I felt like he wanted an answer. God ever do that to you? And I remember being frustrated because I loved pastoring. I loved where we were. I was in my hometown where I grew up and on and on and on. I just loved it. Church was growing. People were getting saved. Lives transformed. And he drops this on me. If I need you in the years to come, will you go? And I felt like he wanted an answer. So I said, yes, you're God. I don't like it. I don't know what you're asking. I don't know why you're asking. But I will say yes. See, God's looking for a yes. I'll promise you this. He will not give you the whole picture so that you say yes. If he did, it would scare your pants off and you'd say no. Right? Like this whole thing, like Noah, build an ark, build an ark, do all this. Well, they go in the ark, who's going to shut the door? Noah didn't say, well, I need to know who's going to shut the door before we do this. Because this is going to be weird. You didn't really put a pulley system in this. It's a big door. We're going to build the boat. I'm going to spend 100 years and then we're going to drown. No, he said yes. Let's go. God ended up shutting the door. God wants to shut some doors in your life too. That's for somebody. I mean, take that. You're thinking about going through a certain door, and God's saying, I'm going to shut that door. I don't want you going through it. Or I'm going to keep you inside where you're at right now. So anyway, so God tells me all that, whatever. I write it down. I go home, tell my wife. We pray. Fast forward three years. And I felt like God started stirring. And he said, listen, remember when I gave you that? It's, it's a time. He actually said it's eminent. I don't use that word. Eminent? Is that the right word? Whatever. You're the word guy. It means like quickly, now. I was praying, and he said that, and I'm like, whoa, I don't like this. Let's take a little time here. And when the Lord showed me that, that vision, that image in my mind, he showed me a guy, a, a guy I knew on the phone. That day, a guy called on the phone, that guy. And I immediately knew that this was God's plan for us to move from where we were to move down here. And this was about eight years ago. And as I was in the process of reconciling that in my heart, I remember driving, driving along in the interstate, and I, I told the Lord, I said, this isn't good. I know this is you, but it's not a good idea. Ever been there? And, and let me tell you why. And I was upset. 
I was crying and I was mad. And I said, you don't understand um, because this person needs me. And I was listing people's names. And I said, this couple's going through a lot right now and I'm kind of counseling them. And I if I leave right now, it's not going to be good. This guy's struggling with drug abuse, and we're working through it. We're getting some, some victories. This guy's got alcoholism. What? On and on and on and on. We're building, we're building the church. People are getting saved. It's not a good idea. They need me. And I said that a few times. They need me. And I felt like he humored me. And, and then out of, out of, like, I heard it so clearly, God said, they need who? He wins every time. I mean, but here's the thing. I didn't want to do it. It took more faith than I had. But I said yes before I knew what the end was going to be. And, and the main point out of today, or something I feel like that God wants to do, is that he's calling several people to do something that you're a little nervous about. He's calling you out and, and to do something to take a step of faith. Okay? He's asking you to, um, to just trust him. Maybe it's to start a business. Maybe it's to take a different job. Maybe it's something entirely different. Maybe it's ministry related. Um, who knows what it is? Maybe it's to financially bless somebody. I don't know what the situation is, but you know that God's put something in your heart to do something, but you're nervous. You're afraid. Can I get a show of hands if that's you this morning? Because we're going to ask you to come forward. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for you. If God's asking you to do something, that's bigger than you. If God's asking you to step out in faith and you're nervous, if you want God's direction, God's blessing, and really, now I'm not saying for God's clarity. I'm not saying that I want you to come up forward and we're going to pray for you and that we're going to give you the exact blueprint of how it's going to work. No. What I want to pray for is that you have the courage to say, yes, Lord. Amen? That you have the courage, like Noah, to say, listen, I want to be seen in this time. I want to have the faith that he had. I want to be a righteous man or woman in this place. I want to do something great for you. God, you're asking me to do something, but I don't know how to do it. That's what we want to pray for. See, because God has no shortcuts. We want the shortcut, don't we? We've all grown up in the microwave generation. Some of you youngins are like, it's always been there. No, really, we, when we made popcorn, we got like a pot out, and we had to heat it up and put butter in it, and it was something. We didn't just put a bag in there, man. Three minutes, button, you know. But God doesn't work that way. No, he's more of a, he's more of a slow cooker, more of a pot roast. I'd rather have a pot roast than a microwave pot roast, or that wouldn't make sense, microwave roast. Amen? God knows what he's doing. Have you ever had God ask you to do something that was a bit scary or outside your comfort zone? And maybe you didn't have all the details? Do you remember when you first surrendered your life to him by faith and you didn't have all the answers? Remember when you first said, Jesus, come into my life, and you had no clue what that really meant and what your life would look like? How many people survived the flood? Eight people. Only eight people survived the flood. You know, the, the, the ark is a representation of Christ. Those that, are, that went in the ark survived the destruction and the flood. Those that are in Christ live forever. Those that are in Christ have eternal life. See, it wasn't so much about how you understood everything. It was the fact that you went in the boat and trusted. Amen? Does that make sense? 
Like, when we give our lives to Christ, we don't understand everything. You might not be a theologian. You maybe have never even read the Bible. It doesn't matter. Do you believe that if you get in a boat when it's going to flood that it's safer? Come on. Not, that's, not a t- that's not a trick question. Do you believe that if you put your faith in Christ as the Son of God, it's better? Yeah. So you don't need, listen, sometimes people think I give my life to Christ so that there's not a storm. No, that'd be like saying I'm going to build an ark so there's no storm. No, you get in the ark because there is a storm. That's the reason you need an ark. The reason you need Jesus is that everybody's going to meet the Lord one day. Only those that are in Christ will have eternal life. Like it's not, you don't come to Christ so your life gets better. You come to him so that you're saved. Now, my life's been a lot better since coming to know Jesus because I do less dumb things. I haven't taken a single pink convertible in a field since then. But I don't do the dumb things I used to do. I'm not living for the world like I was, so my life is better. Does that make sense? And I want to pray for those this morning, and then we're going to pray for those that I feel like God wants them to step out in faith. But I want to pray for those that are not in the boat, are not in Christ yet. And here at Eternity, we, uh, we pray together. We don't want you praying alone. And we do this every single service. And uh, every single service, people get saved. And so we're going to pray this together. Everybody in the room is going to repeat after me. We're going to pray a prayer and asking Jesus to come into our heart. Because the Bible says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we're saved. Sounds too simple, doesn't it? But if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, we're saved. See, we don't have to do the work that Christ did on the cross. We just have to believe him. We don't have to build the ark. We just have to get on it. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you enjoyed it, please check out our other episodes. If you would like to connect with Eternity Church, be sure to go to MyEternity.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at MyEternityChurch. We'll see you next week. Love you heaps.